0: You're listening to the home of cool, irreverent, and entertaining talk, right here on L.A. Talk Radio. You're listening to Answers for the Family with Alan Cardoza, right here on L.A. Talk Radio.
1: Welcome to another edition of Answers for the Family, I'm your host, Alan Cardoza, and each week I will bring you guests that will inspire, educate, and in some cases, entertain, while bringing answers and options to raising children today and in our constantly changing future. I will address issues such as locating a runaway teen, family crisis intervention, building self-esteem, dealing with addictions, and so much more. having over 30 years' experience working with families in crisis, I've been fortunate to meet and work with some of the top professionals in many of the helping fields and authors sharing valuable stories and helpful information who are working to keep your family mentally, physically, and spiritually sound. And at the same time, make this world a better place for all of us, and I'll continue to keep bringing you these incredibly talented and caring people each week as we bring you answers for the family. Now our topic today is the afterlife, conversations from the other side. Joining us today is Dr. Elisa Medhus, a physician and mother of five who has practiced internal medicine for over 30 years. She is the author of three award-winning parenting books and has lectured on parenting for schools, parent groups, and corporations. But after the death of her 20-year-old son, Eric, Dr. Medhus began journaling her grief in her blog, ChannelingEric.com. A strong believer in science, she formally viewed spiritual matters with skepticism. Alicia states that, Once Eric began to communicate with family, friends, and blog members, her entire paradigm shifted. Now, after devouring books on the quantum physics explaining the science behind spirituality, Dr. Medhus began her journey towards spiritual understanding and belief. Elisa, welcome to Answers for the Family.
0: Well, Alan, thank you so much for having me. This is going to be exciting.
1: Well, um, I think it's very exciting as well. Um, it's uh, it's certainly a topic that um, whenever I now bring it up to anyone, uh, people have strong feelings about it, uh, strong feelings either in one direction or the other, um, and I'm – Um, I read the books as I get ready for a particular show. I read at the gym and now many people at the gym know they walk up and say hi to me because they see me sitting there. I'm always on one of the bikes and they can see that I have a book in front of me and so people will walk up, they'll look at the title, and it seems like everybody has an opinion. So um, there were quite a few people that came up and said, "Well, I'm going to make sure that I listen to that one," and then they'll explain to me why. And it's either because they're saying how much they truly believe in it, or they're going to, or they explain to me how much they don't. So uh, I think for starters, um, why don't you share with us, um, you know? Share with us your journey and and how things have evolved for you.
0: Well, of course, it all started when, when Eric died. That's uh, four years ago now. And, oh, boy, you talk about devastating. Uh, but here's a couple of things that made it a lot worse, Alan. First, mm-hmm. you know, you're right. I'm a physician, so, of course, my training is all in science. We're taught in science that something doesn't exist unless you can perceive it with your senses. So. As far as I was concerned, Eric didn't uh, exist anymore because I couldn't see him. I couldn't smell him. I couldn't touch him. And it it sure didn't help to be raised by atheists, I'll tell you that. Um, But then this is the most incredible story. I think you're going to like it, Alan. Uh I I get a call three days after Eric's death from my father. Now, my hardcore atheist father. So consider the irony in this. He sounds shaken when he calls me. My father does not get startled. He's this unflappable thoracic surgeon. He says uh, told me that he was sitting in his chair, reading the paper or something, I can't remember, and all of a sudden he looks up and there's Eric standing in front of him. Wow. Oh. And then he said that Eric turns into his little boy self and crawls up into his lap. So he's like, oh my God, I don't know what to believe. I'm so startled. And I'll tell mm-hmm. you, that along with the fact that uh, a lot of my friends and almost all my family members were getting these these Pranks and these visits and these signs from Eric just made me think. You no, know, I, I, I need to check it out. I didn't want to wallow in hopelessness the rest of my life. Well, so that's when I started to do the research, like you. Like you
1: well, how do. did how did doing the research? In other words, at at what point you're saying this now started with with your father, which would be Eric's grandfather? Um, when did Eric come to you, and and how did that um, how did you deal with that?
0: Well, that that took a long time. I was the last one to believe because, you know, frankly, I didn't want to believe. I did not want to believe because, you know, what if I did? What if I did and then all of a sudden I woke up some morning and found out it was some cruel cosmic joke? Then what? That would be like losing him all over again, but this time forever. So I just, I couldn't, I couldn't go through that again. So I dug in my heels for a long time. But there's also a reason that Eric cannot, that, that deceased loved ones cannot reach grieving, deeply grieving um, uh, uh, relatives or mothers or fathers or whatever uh, very easily. And I can go through that if if you ever want to talk about the science. But my first visit, there were a couple that happened in pretty close succession. Uh, The one I like the best is when I went to bed, turned off the light, and I didn't even get a chance to pull the covers around my neck. There was Eric hopping from the left foot of the bed, to the right, to the left, to the right. And uh, on the left corner, there was my sister Denise, who had died, I don't know, 2001 or so. And, uh, and she was looking at him, grinning. I know she was thinking, You're such a fool. And, um, and so I was grinning too. I was following him back and forth and back and forth. I felt like I was in a tennis match. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, he looks at me. And he looks absolutely startled, like, Oh my God, you can see me, Mom. So he rushes into my arms. And, Alan, I felt everything about him. He he totally Mm -hmm. felt solid. But, you know, after this happened, of course, like, okay, it's really real. I'm a full believer. But as skeptics often do, time passes, and it's like, well, hmm, I need just one more sign. One more sign. One more sign. sign. Please, just one more sign. And so it it took a lot. It took actually until six months ago for me to be 100% in 100% um, range as far as belief is concerned.
1: Well, now you mentioned about the science of it, and why don't you explain that, because I think for a lot of people out there that that are also skeptical, um, you know, it may take the science of it for them to kind of open their mind at this point and really take this in.
0: Sure. Well, first of all, let me go back to the time where we thought the Earth was flat. We'll talk about the science in just a minute, but, and then some dude stands up and says, you know what, I think the Earth might be round." and so of course... The flat earthers, I'll call them. They would shake their fists and scream heresy. I probably would have been one, to tell you the truth. But guess what? Yeah, the earth is, is round. And I think, you know, for example, people come up to me and say, well, why can't we see spirits then? Well, why can't we see radio waves? We know they exist. You see, there's this, everything is energy, first of all. Everything. Einstein referred to matter as frozen light. And all energy vibrates at a very unique... Um, point on this long electromagnetic spectrum. We have the x-rays, microwaves, radio waves, ultraviolet rays, etc. And we're in a tiny little part called the visible range, very tiny part. That's where we see things. That's where matter is for us. Anything that vibrates at a lower frequency or higher frequency, it's invisible to us. So spirits happen to vibrate at a higher frequency than that visible range. Think about the hummingbird wing.
2: Uh-huh.
0: When a hummingbird's sitting on a branch, you know, you can you can see the wings fairly well. But once that little bird's in flight, those little wings are flapping so fast at such a high frequency that really they're all but invisible. Now, let's use this to talk about grief. Because a lot of parents say, well, why won't my son, why won't my daughter visit me? They visit, he visited Uncle Bob. Uh-huh. It's because, you know, you're... You know, obviously your energy too, since everything's energy, and your frequency, that your energy is is uh, much lower on that visible range. It's on the low side. That's what we say, why we say, "I'm depressed," or "I'm down," or "I feel low." That is actually, you know, the frequency on the in the visible range, and since spirits vibrate at a higher frequency. They really have to work hard to lower their, their energy frequency in order to meet you halfway or even to get, be able to manifest, to prank, to to do some form of communication. Uh-huh. So until you start feeling a little joy, even if you have to, I don't know, fake it by thinking of joyful memories, trying to get yourself higher uh, on the uh, in that particular range, then um, it's going to be difficult for them.
1: Okay. So... Um, so what so what I hear you saying is is that for those of us when we lose someone that while we're in that that period of grief it's very hard for you know for us to be able to to recognize these differences in energy I guess and then um, but for other people that that I guess have have gotten beyond their grief and have sort of moved on it's easier is that kind of what you're saying.
0: Yes, yeah, so and of the course there has to be an awareness that it can, that it exists, you know. And I was still at that point in my life where, you know, I can't see it; it doesn't exist. I can't smell it; I can't touch it; I can't hear it; it doesn't exist. So you have to have that awareness of well, I'm going to keep my eyes open because I'm open to this, and and I wasn't.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, did you did you as you were? Um going through books and as you were going into quantum physics and as you were really studying this at this point did you also go out and talk with um, with any people that that um, you know that that operate as a medium or uh, or as a, a, a spiritual person who who says that they are able to make contact
0: well yeah that took a long time because if you if you talk to me about a, a, a medium, I get this mental image of this gypsy hunched over a crystal ball. You know, I I really didn't take them seriously, but after I exhausted all my research, alternate dimensions, quantum physics, etc., I also looked at controlled studies on mediums.
2: Uh-huh. And
0: I, I read that a lot of parents do you know, try out a medium because well, most of them are just desperate. They they want to see if their kids are around, and if they are, where are they? How are they doing? And so they'll they'll try it um like I said, just out of desperation. Now, I wanted to try it, too. Part of it was desperation, but part of it was, you know, I, I wanted validation. So, right. yes, I did try a number of them. Most of them were just terrible. But some of them were just amazing, like Jamie Butler. She's the medium who Eric, uh, through which Eric answers a lot of the questions we have about death and so on. Uh, she pegged his personality perfectly, just oh awfully irreverent to the humor his his mischievousness but so she was able to validate things that there's no way anybody but eric and i could know like that that he was sitting at his desk when he killed himself that um, what kind of gun he used the clothes he was wearing what they looked like it's just you know it, it was just amazing so we started asking i started asking the questions first of course, there were very personal questions like, you know, why?
2: Mm-hmm. And uh,
0: and did we do anything wrong? Could so we have done anything to save you? But then I started asking questions that the blog members wanted to know, like, what does it feel like to die? What's it like to live in the afterlife? Uh, what's it like to not have a body and, and so much more?
1: Well, um, share with us some of those questions uh, in the book and uh and what Eric's answers were.
0: Oh, gosh. Well, for death, for example, uh, what happens to, to atheists? What does it feel like to die? Where would you go? Uh, what happens on a cellular level at the moment of death? Now, that's pretty cool. And I'll get to the other questions of afterlife spirits, too. But here's here's what he says, and this is science behind it. Um, you know, like I said, we're all energy. Your soul is energy. Your body is energy. And the way the... the um, the soul is anchored to the body, is inside the hollow spaces of these little structures that are in every cell, called microtubules. Now, these microtubules are really important for maintaining the, the structure of the cell, but they're also, you know, involved in, in cell division, among other things. And he says that when you die, the energy between those two in that hollow space starts to get like intensifying, and The electrical energy builds up and builds up, and spark, it disconnects. Now, here's something kind of cool that he said.
2: Uh-huh.
0: Sometimes that whole disconnection process goes awry, and the you know the soul has trouble disconnecting from from the body, and the energy keeps building up and building up and building up until poof, spontaneous combustion. It's really interesting because he says that a lot of people who die from spontaneous combustion have a hard time letting go of things, you know, in general, in other ways, like. Mm, Like quarters, that would be one example. He also says that the soul is made of neutrinos, these little bitty, bitty particles that um, they're so small, they can pass through lead. I think that's how they discovered them. And when we die, those neutrino particles transform into a wave, and those waves become carriers of information. That's what he said we are anyway, information seeking information or sentient uh, energy that's self-aware. And then death, I mean, uh, afterlife, oh, we'll ask him things like, uh, what does it look like? What do you guys have there? Uh, what do you do there? Do you lay on clouds and play the harp all day? You know, they don't do that. And, um, and then I ask about uh, being without a body. Do you guys still have your senses? Do you uh-huh. feel emotions? Uh, do you sleep? Do you get hungry? Oh, let's see. Is there anything you miss about being on Earth? Do you have any new abilities, and so on, so and, and then we get into the bigger concepts about time, space, matter, reality, uh, who we are, and why we're here. That's kind of a big one there.
1: Well, I'll bet. Um, <laughs> now, and um, anyway, for for those of you that are out there and you're listening. Um, if you'd like you can open up uh, open up another window if you're if you're listening through your computer you can open up another window and you can go to www.channelingeric.com and that's c h a n n e l i n g e r i k.com and if you go there you can see some of the questions that are there you can see the um There's pictures of Eric, but there's also um, some of the questions. Uh, There's also, uh, if you go over onto the book, you can click onto the book, uh, My Son in the Afterlife, um, if you want to learn more about that as well. So um, for any of you out there, feel free to um, open up another window and sort of follow along so that um, as Elise is talking about this, you can sort of get an idea of – of um, some of the other questions and some of the things that the bloggers are, you know, are saying, or you know, or you know, wh- whatever it is that you're thinking, maybe you have a question or something and you want to put it out there. Um, feel free to do that. Um, and actually, speaking of questions, and we have some questions that are coming in uh, via the email. So let me share one of these with you. It says, how has your relationship with Eric changed since his death? Um, are you the same kind of mother to him now as when he was living on uh, on Earth?
0: Oh, gosh, that's such a great question. And, you know, I've always had a great relationship with all my kids, uh, of course, including Eric. Uh, you know, we're so tight-knit. It's all about love and nurturing Tend to be overly affectionate to the point of being annoying, but uh, <laughs> according to my kids, still try to get my 21-year-old to sit in my lap, but he don't want to have he don't want to have anything to do with it. But with Eric, gosh, you know, when he developed bipolar disease, I he just built this really thick wall around him, and I just I just couldn't get through. He was in there just slaying his his dragons, fighting his demons. I just tried so hard but no. But then when he died the the walls came tumbling down and now we have a great relationship. In fact it, it's continuing to grow. I'm no longer his teacher. He's my teacher. Um or actually we're we we tag team so to speak. Basically in all this I'm just a secretary. Eric taps into this huge pool of information that all spirits can tap into and shares it with with us and Jamie's the, the mouthpiece and and I'm the secretary. But yeah, you know, but I tell you, you know, sometimes it's really hard sharing him with the world because there's part of me that, you know, that that um, that wishes he was here. Of course, a big part. You know, if if you told me I could have I could have him back now, physically, uh-huh. but of course, happy. You know, um, even if I knew that he wasn't going to do so much to help. Other people, I mean, I know this sounds awful, but I'd want him back. I really would, because I really miss that boy. So mm-hmm. this has not been easy. I tell you, this is this came at a very huge cost for me.
1: Yeah, I can certainly imagine. Um, it's one of the things that I have said all along is that, I mean, we should never uh, outlive our children. So
2: right. um,
1: I certainly understand. Um, yeah. Now, one of the things that you mention in the book... Um, that I thought was really cute, but you talk about some of the pranks. Um, I, to me, I, I just thought that was so interesting. So, it, share uh, share with our listeners some of the pranks uh, that he has pulled, and and how you were aware that that this is him doing it.
0: Oh gosh, <laughs> where do I begin? Well, at first, I didn't. I really didn't think one way or the other as far as who the, who it's coming from, but. Uh, and he always used to prank his, his siblings, too, pest them like there was no tomorrow. Uh, let's see. Stinky uh, socks are, you know, horrible smells are a specialty. It's never about perfume, I'm gonna tell you. So he'll do that, and the smell, for example, uh, one smell, for example, was just exactly the same as his horrible, horrible, horrible feet. They was uh. just rank. And uh, he'll drop airsoft babies from the ceiling, You'll just see a little fluorescent plastic bead appear at the ceiling and drop to the floor. We don't even have airsoft guns in our, our house. Or he'll, um, oh, let's see, he'll turn on water faucets. He'll make appliances work that are not plugged in. Uh, let's see, uh, he'll, he'll tease the blog members, too, like this one time. <laughs> when he passes the police station, his whole car filled with the smell of pot. Kind of unnerving there. And let's see, uh, there's this one lady, she goes out on her morning jog, and she comes back, and all her kitchen drawers are wide open. Now, you know, that might not seem like anything until you find out that she doesn't live with anybody. There is nothing in her house with an opposable thumb at all. So, And, and the blog members actually love it, to get jealous of each other. And wait, he, he pranked you, but not me, When is it my turn. I get that a lot you know they they find Eric very very endearing and he he pranks and visits and helps people all over the world it's just i don't know i just find it all so surreal even looking back back on it now it's just ah, it's surreal
1: Okay, well, um, we have another listener question that uh, that has come through, uh, and again, I want to thank all of the listeners that either email or instant message in questions. We appreciate it very much. You can also call in. If you call in, uh, call in on an, on an unblocked number, uh, and we will try to get you on the air. Uh, this question says, we have a friend, a very successful life coach, who lost two sons in the last seven years one uh, a drug overdose and one a heart attack we have been so amazed at her ability to reach out to others uh, who have lost children and comfort them she too states that she speaks uh with um she speaks with them uh uh, opening uh sorry there's some spelling things in here um uh you know uh, in front of others you know and um and has had amazing phenomenon occur as a result. Uh, does your book help individuals learn how to communicate and listen for that voice on the other side?
0: Oh, absolutely, and there's no reason. Like I say, that your loved one is not gone. They just don't happen to have a body. You know, At death, all we do is shed our body like a suit of clothes, but they're your same kid, uncle, you know, daughter, etc., that they always were. Uh, there are ways to communicate, and some of them are just very simple. It's just like asking, "Hey, what's up?" and hearing the voice in, in your head or seeing a mental image. And you know, at first you might get your own voice answering, but then eventually, when you practice, you have to have faith that it's them. Eventually, you, you you start to hear that person's voice, and you 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 sense his or her energy. Now, there's a real simple game you can play called the hand game. Okay. In that game, you put your hands. Um, palms up on your thighs and you uh-huh. designate one as yes and one as no. Of course, this only works obviously for yes and no questions, but, and you ask something simple like, Oh, like, oh, are you happy? And then you wait, and you see if you can discern some sort of change in, 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 um, in feeling in one of the palms. Oh, it might be a sensation that somebody is blowing into your palm, it could be numbness tingling, goosebumps, heat, cold, just some change. And, you know, some spirits are better at conveying these, these changes than others, and some people are better at picking them up than, than others. But if you don't get anything for a while, just say, hey, make it stronger. Make it mm-hmm. stronger. Make it stronger, and eventually you'll get it. So that's very comforting, too.
1: Now, how do you know that it's coming from the right person?
0: Well, you know, you don't always, but most people, when they're really close to somebody, they they know their energy and they know the answers to the questions. You can validate things by asking questions that, there's, that nobody else but you and that person would possibly know. So there are ways. Okay. But a lot of it is just instinct, intuition, you know?
1: Okay. All right. Well, um, we're going to take a break. We are talking with Dr. Elisa Medhus and... The book is called uh, the, uh, My Son and the Afterlife. Um, stay with us. We are uh, in very, very interesting area um, as we learn more about some of uh, the pranks that her son Eric has played and some of the ways in which um, he's really making a difference. So again, stay with us. We will be right back. Founded over 25 years ago to meet the needs of families in crisis, WestShield specializes in resolving adolescent issues that negatively impact the family. From preteen to young adult, we are experienced and qualified to help. We offer solutions which include referrals to a network of top professionals internationally that we work very closely with in the fields of educational consulting, psychology and psychiatry. Our in-home crisis intervention care program helps to stabilize families and bring effective resolution. We are supported by our licensed investigation company that enables us to offer legal and expert services for locating runaway teens and more. Our therapeutic transportation services help to ensure that adolescents in crisis are safely provided transportation to specialized schools and programs with unmatched experience and success. Simply put, West Shield Adolescent Services is the best solution when your family is facing personal crisis. Call 1-800-899-8585 and let us help you. All right, we're back. You're listening to Answers for the Family, and uh, today we are talking about the afterlife. Um, so, Alisa uh, and I... Um, and I mentioned earlier on uh, for those of you uh, how you can go to the website. Again, the uh, the website is channelingeric.com and Eric is E R I K. Um, so, for those of you that have gone on, Alisa, um, can you just kind of walk people through the website a little bit? Because I think it's very interesting. Um, you know, this to me is one of the things that I've I've not dealt with, uh, but Um, it's certainly very intriguing to be able to go on here and to look at some of the questions and some of the comments that people have made uh, in regards to either their experiences uh, in regards to Eric or or other experiences that they've uh, been involved with. So um, can you walk us through a little bit? Sure, sure. Uh, Of course, there's there's,
0: uh, one area that talks about Eric, what kind of person he is, what happened to him, Uh, You can explore the book uh, also in a tab at the top. It will even give you an excerpt so you can read that. And uh, there's a tab about me and and any kind of upcoming um, uh, events I might have. The archives, it's very, very important for you to start at the beginning and go through the archives because that's where so many of the basics are. And, And through those, a lot of people, for example, have gotten rid of all their death anxiety. They no longer fear death or life, for that matter. And uh, we have forums, a forum where people can just, it's, it's, it's a real safe, loving community where people support each other. A lot of them have become close friends. Even from, you know, one of my best friends now is, is uh, a woman in, in Ireland, and she's befriended a lot of the blog members and comes here and visits all the time. Um, so it's really important to go to those archives. Um, my daughter actually designed the site, and I think she did a very good job. Um, the comments are interesting. Uh-huh. In fact, very often, I, I find I learn a lot more from the comments than the actual posts.
2: Uh-huh. I,
0: these, I call them my peeps. They, they just teach me so much, and so many of them are farther along on this journey than I am. But I think one of the most, oh gosh, compelling uh, comments are when they say, um, you know, this has saved my life. It's transformed me. It's transform, it transformed my whole family, you know, what's in this blog. But even more compelling, we've gotten a number of comments that, that say that it's literally saved their lives. For example, there's this one guy, I think it was maybe six months ago, he left a comment, I was going to kill myself today, but after reading this post, I want to live. Wow.
2: And early on,
0: I know, it's very powerful. And um, another woman, she lost her son just like I did, and uh, she'd been going to therapy for a number of months, and for some reason in her case, it just wasn't helping. So she came home after a session with the decision to kill herself, got everything ready, was just about to do it. Then all of a sudden she had this very strong urge to to, uh, go to the computer and type in, my son is dead. So up comes the blog, Trailing Eric. She reads it from the very beginning to the very end and she she changes her mind. She says, life is worth living and she's still with us today and this is like, she's one of the charter members. She's been around for a long time. I think the blog is going on its fourth year maybe now. Uh, so it is powerful. It's, it's a little scary for me uh-huh. because I'm, I'm still this little broken woman so to have all this happen and this sense of responsibility, uh, you know, it's, Oh, it's not a burden. I just say it's um, it's a very heavy sense of responsibility. It's uplifting, too, to sort of give Eric's death some meaning because it's helping people.
1: Well, it sounds like there's a lot of people out there that are very thankful that you've accepted this responsibility. Um, now, let's let's talk about the book a little bit. And, I mean, who do you envision that this book is for and and, and why do you think they would want to read it?
0: Well, that's a great question. I think that it would be anybody who plans to die, frankly. Immortals, not so much. But now there are like, what, 78 million baby boomers who are grappling with their own mortality now. And some of them have lost parents. Some of them are about to lose parents. And look how many people have lost loved ones, period. And they have this, this notion that, okay, they're gone. They're up in some gated community up there with a little wing security guard on a watch. Uh-huh. Uh, and so this helps them as well. Plus the people who have uh, death anxiety. You know, Alan, I didn't realize how common this was until I saw it in a number of blog members. I and mean, some people are just paralyzed by fear uh, of their eventual death. But they just, I don't know, they just really even have trouble functioning in life. They have trouble living. And then, of course, you have people who are just curious. People just want to know the, the, uh, the answers to questions like these. Sure.
1: Well, I, I think you bring up a great point because it's it's not just for someone who has lost someone, but you bring up a great point is is that at at some point in time, you know, um, we are all uh, we are all going to leave this world. So, so I think from the standpoint of the curiosity for people to be able to read it and learn more about their own mortality and and such, I think is. Um, you know makes it it makes a lot of sense you know that was that was kind of my thought i mean on the one hand yeah um you know it it really made me think in regards to to those that uh, i've been close to that i've lost but more so looking at it from my own um thoughts and concerns um yeah, I just think it's it's incredibly helpful, um, and I think it really does sort of release some of the the anxiety of you know what's to come.
0: Yeah, just the fact that there's knowing that there's science behind it all, which helped me immensely, and uh, knowing that, that we're really never gone, that's very comforting. Plus, who who wouldn't want to know Ooh, how does it feel like to die? You know, what's it like over there? You guys have shopping malls. I had one guy ask ask me to ask Eric that. Uh, you know, what's it like being without a body? Things like this are very interesting.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, um, you were saying that um, you you referred to, and you said it's Janie Butler. Is that correct?
0: Jamie with an M. M. Uh,
1: mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so, and you you said that she is somewhat the mouthpiece. So you're saying that that. Eric is um, communicating through her, um, mm-hmm. but yet at the same time, you said that you have seen and heard him yourself, like like the time on the end of your bed.
0: Yes, but that, that's only for my own personal use. When we're dealing with the, with answering these very heady questions, I don't depend on myself at all. I, I depend on a professional. It's like me trying to do brain surgery on somebody. It's not going to work out too well for the person on the on the operating room table and um but yeah she is she just she she has no filters as far as channeling is concerned and if she does try to pop up a filter like insert her or color it with her own opinion then eric says jamie don't weed me don't weed me and and their relationship is hilarious they they um he's like the pestery little brother and she's the big sister the very annoyed big sister and, uh, you know, at first, as you, know, you probably noticed if you read any of it, Eric has sort of a sailor's mouth. <sighs> and Jamie is just like innocent, very girly, young medium who had a lot of trouble uh, translating some of those words. She uh-huh. would blush, she would just bleep them out, et cetera, And I said, look, this is Eric, go ahead. And now she's getting better at it, but she still struggles sometimes. He yeah. struggles with the way he teases her as well. So actually, the book's kind of funny. Yeah, yeah, it, it, as it counterintuitive it, it, as it is, it's kind of a funny book.
1: Yeah, it, it it is at times. And actually, I I'm glad you touched on that because I was going to ask the question, um, and I was just kind of thinking about how to go about it. But yeah, I was going to say, what's with the cursing? I mean, you know.
0: <laughs> so I know he didn't get it from me, Alan. I promise, <laughs> not not all of it anyway. No, um, you know. Here's what Eric says about the cursing. First of all, let me tell you, the, the blog members love it. They find it, in, it very endearing. It makes them feel like he's approachable, that he's like one of us. But here's what Eric says He says words are just a string of letters. They get their power from the emotional intent behind them, and his is very benevolent. Mm-hmm. But he also says that he curses because he wants people to know it's him, that it's not some, like, I don't know, oh, Archangel Michael or some ascended master is out with, welcome, my dear one. No, that is not his style. He's like raw and unplugged. Plus, you know, Alan, he doesn't want to just reach those who are already into spiritual matters and know a lot about these things uh, because, you know, that's like preaching to the choir. He wants to reach hard hats and college students and single mothers and just other people who, you know, should know the answers to such fundamental questions.
1: Well, you you bring up a good point, Um, which which leads me to um, uh, how have you or Eric been received by the religious population?
0: Oh, boy. Well, of course, I've gotten a lot of criticism. It's very difficult, especially right after Eric died. Gosh, because I was so broken. Um, But the religious people... You know, everybody has their own interpretation of their holy book, and everybody's relationship with their faith is very personal. So I'm not here to challenge that at all. But Eric's message is a universal one that transcends and actually even gives validity to all faiths. We have an archbishop and some priests as members, believe it or not. But uh-huh. so I guess what I'm going to say is this is not about whether you're Jewish or Catholic, uh, or even uh, whether you're. Asian or Latino, rich, poor, whatever. This is about being human. It's about being human. And, you know, I think all humans should have the answers to those fundamental questions like, uh, what is God? Uh, What are we? Why are we here? What happens after we die? And in a way, you know, look at humanity. I see that we've created these, these divisions. We've divided ourselves into these warring subgroups. And I see Eric doing something differently. He's, he's highlighting the fact that we're all humans, that we should be defined as humans going through this, this human experience together hand in hand. And so what he does unifies, not divides.
1: Okay. Um, we have another um, uh, email question, comment coming across right now. This one reads, um, uh, as an emergency room physician, I have actually witnessed individuals leave their bodies at the time of death. In my 20 years, I have also seen three return to their bodies after we had given up on resuscitation and pronounced them dead. When they leave permanently, there is a coolness in the air and a transparent uh, outline of the person 's body that may appear in the room because several uh, because several of a few uh, s- uh, small groups uh, of the staff are more spiritually oriented than most medical professions, we believe our openness has increased. Uh, the Observable Occurrences. I wish to thank you for having the courage to share your story, and I have ordered your book. I look forward to reading it and sharing it with uh, our staff and some of our patients.
2: Well, um, talk about bravery.
0: This guy is amazing. You know, we have a problem in our – like as he was referring to or she, we have a problem in that um, – we keep things secret in, in the uh, medical community. We don't want to be ostracized by our peers, and we don't want to look like we're wacky. So, and, and we do experience a lot of these deathbed ex- uh, events that are just so powerful, yet, um, yet we're afraid. And I see that in, in non-medical professionals, too. There's a lot of people who are in the closet who have experienced these amazing things but are afraid to talk about them. They think they're all alone. I remember sharing uh, sharing some of what I've learned here with uh, a person. I can't remember who she was. If it was a friend or or a blog member, and um, she just heaved a big sigh of relief and said, "Oh, thank God, I can have somebody to talk to because I believe all this. I saw two angels by my dumpsters the other day." (laughs) Sounds kind of funny. So there's a lot of people in the closet, so to speak. And my hats off to this emergency room physician.
1: Well, with you being a physician as well um how has how has your peers responded to you in this area?
0: well as this e r physician was uh, was saying, you know, a lot of them do want to believe and they they have these little, these little stories in their head that they really want to share they're just so amazing, so you know, I' have to judge who to open myself up and who not to because it's scary you don't want to start talking and they're kind of looking for the nearest exit or they start to attack. That's, um, I just, that's very difficult to come up against a closed-minded skeptic. It really is. So mm, I'm very punitive at first when I, when I pick and choose who I want to share this with. And a lot of people aren't. A lot of people just go after it like there's no tomorrow.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, are, are you still practicing as a physician?
0: No, after Eric died, I, well, I, I tried to go back uh, after two weeks and, you know, sometime in that period of time, I saw a head injury and I just couldn't, because it, it was a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head and I just, uh, I couldn't do anyone. I resigned my position and I left and, I don't know, I, I feel like Eric and I, or Eric, I'll say, is saving more lives than I could ever save as a physician. Just those two instances I mentioned, that's just... Gosh, that's just the tip of the iceberg, really.
1: Well, I mean, it's it's it is literally amazing. Um, so, uh, some things and um, you know, it's uh, that that came up. It was a question, actually, that came up after we sent out the the press release, and it said, but it was geared, it was directed towards me rather than you. But the question said, um, you know, um, ask. Ask her um, uh, what evidence she has had up to this point.
0: Well, of course, a lot of it's the pranks, the visits. I mean, he called us on the telephone for the love of God. Uh, But a lot of it's just in the material itself. A lot of people say, when I read this, there's so many aha moments. Like, you know, you know on a soul level that it's the absolute truth. So, you know, people will glean their own truth here and there. Uh, I think the thing that really got me to 100% happened six months ago, like I think I said earlier. Mm -hmm. um, A blog member uh, contacted me, and she said she heard three voices on one of the recorded sessions that Jamie and I did, oh, I don't know, maybe about a year and a half before that. So my first reaction was, "Mm, okay, well, I was there. There was nobody in the room. Nobody was making any voices or even a peep. And, of course, I listened to it. Sure enough, three voices, and one of them was definitely Eric's. I don't know how many moms are listening out there, but we know the sound of our own kid's voice. He had this way of saying breakfast like a little child, breakfast, and he also had this verbal tick that he did all the time. It sounded like he was clearing his throat like <clears> throat> those were there. So I was intrigued enough after listening to it to to get a sound professional to analyze it. Uh-huh. And what he found was amazing. He said that there were little distortions in some of the voices that were not human and that one of the voices sounded like they were whispering right up to the mic, like half an inch away and you know, on the video you see nothing. But I think one of the most interesting components of the analysis was um, he said the voices left no voice signature on the analysis, none, no voice print. And from what he says, this just doesn't happen in, in uh, humans. So I have hmm. that on my iPhone. And I listen to it all the time. It's just wonderful to hear his voice.
1: Now, now, for for some of the skeptics out there, um, where is this taking place? When you're doing this, are you are you at your home? Are you at at Jamie's? Um is this at different locations?
2: Where? Oh,
0: different locations. You know, I, sometimes from my house, uh, sometimes at Jamie's. It can all be done over the phone, though. Yeah.
1: Right, because again, and, and I'm, you know, a, a, as an investigator by trade, and so I'm sort of thinking about the people listening, you know, what other questions would they have, and 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 a skeptic may then say, well, you know, if it's at if it's at her place, you know, is is she able to somehow, you know, manipulate a you know a a voice or something like that i mean you know people you know people watch tv you know and and they'll they'll see these shows to where somebody will figure out afterwards oh okay see it was this all along and uh you know for people that that type of answer so so to to answer that question that may be out there for them what you're saying is is that no this isn't always in some in 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 a medium's um, living room. This is sometimes at your home. This is sometimes at other locations where it would be very difficult for one person to to manipulate the situation.
0: Yeah, and just so, so many things have happened that are just I don't know, just almost indisputable. Anything can, can be disputed, of course, and that's the scientist in me. I, you know, but uh, for example, she was uh, I was recording a session with her. Uh, this woman wanted to talk to her deceased oh, boyfriend husband i can't remember his name was keith and uh, eric helped bring him in and uh jamie was translating uh between what keith wanted to say to his girlfriend's last wife and all of a sudden jamie stops and attracts the oh, wait a minute he's not speaking english anymore he's speaking a language i don't recognize i know it's not like italian or german or french or spanish what is it does he speak another language and the woman said, "Yeah, he speaks Lakota." Now, how many people would think a guy named Keith would speak Lakota? Yeah, if it was like Running Bull or something. But <sighs> so little things like that happen all the time, you know.
2: Mm-hmm. And well, I remember one. Go ahead. Go ahead. No,
1: no, no, no go ahead. I, I was just going to say we're actually. I, I glanced up, and we are almost out of time. So I was just okay. going to say that. Is there any? Guidance or thoughts, any last words that you would want to leave with our listeners to help them uh, cope with the death of a loved one um, or, you know, or anything like that?
0: Well, I would say that your loved one is not gone. As I said before, they just shed their body like a suit of clothes. And they don't want to be forgotten. They don't. Just because they're invisible doesn't mean we should, you know... I forget about them. They want the relationship to continue and there's no reason of course why you can't. Now for mothers I don't know I think we grieve so differently. It's um, it's a harder grief and I would just like to tell tell them that the umbilical cord it stretches it stretches it stretches but it never ever breaks. You're always going to be connected to your child no matter what. Death knows no boundaries. I mean love knows no boundaries even death.
1: Well, um, Elisa, thank you so much, Um, and and I actually wish we had more time. Um, But again, for everybody out there... um Go to the website. It is uh, channelingeric.com. If you're driving, you can't write this stuff down. Uh, go to the, our answers, the numeral for the family blog. We'll have all the information there for you. Alisa, uh, thank you so much for sharing with us. And for everybody out there, the book is called My Son and the Afterlife.
0: Well, thank you so much for being a wonderful host. I've had a well, lot of interviews, and you just are, you're one of the best. Well now, thank now write you write you an excuse for your wife that you're not gonna to have to do any chores for the next month because you've been a good boy.
1: I love that. I'll I'll take you up on that. All right, everybody okay. have a have a wonderful week and be with us again next week for Answers for the Family.
0: You're listening to Answers for the Family with Alan
2: Cardoza right here on L.A. Talk Radio.